Raymond Ridge, I need to talk to you about your testicles and in particular the hair on your testicles because yes support for crate 808 is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels yes have a listen to that have a listen have a listen this shaver really does run at the speed of life <laughs> There we go. For the exhibit heads out there, there you go. It does run at the speed of life. It is. If you look on the camera, it's even got a little light for you there, mate. It's it's razor razor smooth. It's razor razor smooth, I would say. And this is what I'm talking to you about today. Ray, where where do you stand on ball grooming, my friend? It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous a little bit. (laughs) It does. I didn't know I needed it until I had it. Ah. And that really is the sound of electric relaxation. (laughs) <laughs> stop stop we gotta stop with the, do we have to stop with the puns i don't know maybe people love this well i actually was going to say to you is it hip-hop to have clean balls and this is the thing i thought and manscapes are great for this they even send you like um stuff to put on top after you've like shaved the balls like you know almost like aftershave for the balls or, or so you have scented scrotums and i thought scented scrotums is the best title for a cool Keith song that hasn't been released yet. So anybody who wants to go out there and make that track, please let us know. And also go out there and cop yourself one of these because the experience for any rap heads out there who like to walk, you know, with confidence and a little bit differently, just like a hip hop backpacker uniform, you've got Timberlands, right? You've got Carhartt jackets, you've got fisherman hats. But now I do think we need to put clean shaven balls into the mix. Where are you with that? No, no, I agree completely. My opinion, you got to look after the twins so you can live that glamour life. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I heard this used by um, Easy Dick in the Jackoff Hour. <laughs> <laughs> Easy Dick in the Jackoff. Keep bringing them. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. We've got an exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CRATE808 at manscaped.com. Get your 20% off and big yourselves up. Ray, I'm glad you've got clean balls and I'm glad you've got the knowledge now to get those clean balls because hip-hop's fifth pillar is knowledge. So thank you, Manscaped, for letting us know that we do all need to go out there and have clean balls. Thanks to, thanks to Manscaped. It really does look like OPP. LL Cool J is hard as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what does LL really stand for? Ladies love, living large, licking lips. <laughs> well, I'm here because I personally think it stands for living legend. In 2021, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame finally inducted James Todd Smith after a wait lasting over 10 years. The living legend had dropped 13 albums in a career spanning three decades, helping take the culture of rap music from its humble beginnings into the everyday lives of people who didn't even know what hip-hop was. And his legacy all started with three key records, kicking off way back in 1985, Radio, Badder and Deffer and Walking with a Panther. So let Dr. Dre break down just how important this start was, not just for LL, but for all of hip hop. LL was 17 years old when his debut album came out. It not only put Def Jam on the map, but it launched a fucking superstar. Now, whenever I hear the first album radio, it immediately transports me back 
So when I was just getting started as a DJ behind the turntables, I started off practicing, practicing mixing and scratching, rock the bells in my garage, and then I took that shit to the club and watched the club go crazy. And it wasn't just clubs that were going crazy. Hip-hop heads around the world were being birthed to the champion sounds of LL Cool J. So now that you know what level of GOAT we're operating on for this episode, coming up is a deep, deep dive into LL Cool J's three-album run from the 1980s with an underground rap legend in the hot seat. Strap in. Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. And today we have a very special guest on board, a man who's a slow typer, a so-so writer, who's been the shit ever since he was an infant in diapers. It's the man with a restraining order against Satan's daughter that he keeps at the bottom of his Jameson and water. Back when he was green, he used to rap to be seen, but now he's in blue jeans, looking like <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, and it's not even close to Halloween. Yes, it's one half of atmosphere. That's a 10-letter word. Discretion is the name of his cement-feathered bird. And if you didn't hear then fuck what others heard yes people we have got sean daly aka slug from atmosphere in the house how are you doing my man man that was an outstanding introduction i have i'm like man you say some of them lyrics better than i say them that's it's beautiful i appreciate it i appreciate you i'm doing great uh thank you for for having me how are you i'm good man i'm good and i appreciate you coming on And, and today we are going to talk about yourself atmosphere your career but you're going to bring LL Cool J to talk about the Colossus LL Cool J we're going to go radio 1985 bad 1987 and walking with a panther 1989 which is an interesting chat but before we jump into any of that I've got to ask you I ask every guest Sean what's the least hip-hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours oh I mean my whole 24 hours was it was the, the antithesis of, of hip hop. Like I got I got sick kids at home. Uh, one of them projected vomit all over the couch and the rug. And 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 I'm a little under the weather. And so me and my wife had to like pull the couch apart and and and, and get the rug out and run to Target and get like a cleaner for rugs. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't yeah. want to pay somebody you know five hundred dollars to come and clean this rug. It's a beautiful rug that was uh, sent to me from uh, a friend in Afghanistan actually before Boy. they pulled all of the American out a friend of mine uh sent a rug and my kid just threw up all over it you know what i mean so oh. it's like it's cleaning that it's sad but it's what kids do they puke you know what i'm saying so i i don't go ah. Uh, i go yo couldn't you have aimed it over there <laughs> like uh, yeah. anyway we just been doing custodial work around the house uh looking after these kids yeah. let's see last last night uh uh, we watched the Grinch that was, and it wasn't very hip hop either, you know, <laughs> but, but to be fair, man, honestly, all of it's hip hop. Everything I do mm. is hip hop, not on some, I am hip hop, but, uh, but, but more so like, uh, it's so ingrained in me that I don't always necessarily realize that it's there and present regardless of what I'm doing. We, we started saying dad rap about 10 years ago as a joke because it was like, there wasn't dad rap yet. There was just dad mm. rock, but it was like, I wear cargo shorts. So there's dad rap. You know what I mean, and so it's like, it, it almost like it manifested a real thing. Like I am dad rap. Move over, <laughs> move over, Karis one. I am dad rap. <laughs> Even back in the nineties, I was dad rap. I just didn't realize it yet. But if you mm. if you really comb through the older material, you hear the cringy jokes. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a lot of cringy lines. They're dad jokes. They're and they're there on purpose because that was who I was. Those are the kind of jokes I said to my friends just even 
mm. in dialogue. And also you can hear how I was like always kind of lacing everything with a moral or a message, True, you know, yes. like, like that, that dad rap stuff has always been present, but I was a young father. You know, I had my first child mm. when I was before you ever heard of me, you know, so I was mm. already a dad technically, you know what I mean? And yeah. so it's, it's finally come full circle for me in, in my realization that I have always been dad rap. I am just now finally hitting that, that final level mm. of where it's like, I'm fully embracing it and, and not running from it. Like I might've been in the nineties. Yeah. You know, if I'd embraced it in the nineties, I'd be Beck by now. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be like, just everybody would see me and be like, Oh, he looks like Bob Dylan. What happened? <laughs> and a man who had a seamless segue, a man who helped you form these foundations for your career, I, I presume was when you first heard LL. Why was that one that you thought, you know, I'm going to go with LL's run and, and not this other one? Oh, um, there's many artists I probably could have chosen to, to speak about just because I have been opened and influenced by everybody from the golden era, basically. I, I could talk about any of uh, any of the men or the women from that era. You know, Shantae was one that I was like, yeah, that would be mm. really great to talk about because it's another artist who had a ton of influence, but doesn't always get that shine. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. her name does not get mentioned enough when we're talking about the influential early artists. And, and, and I actually want to get to that a little bit later because there's an LL song that I feel like could have been written by Shantae, not to suggest that she wrote for him, but more mm. so I hear her influence in one of his joints, even, you know what I'm saying? Wow. And I don't know if it's true. It's just, it's, it's just my ear going, Oop. you yeah. know, I re I revisited all three of these albums actually last night and heard things that I never noticed before. That was really interesting for me too. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I went with LL. The reason I think that I mainly went with LL is because he, he, he embodied the energy, the middle finger, the things about hip hop that, that I think drew many of us to it and continue to, you know, today, when you look at the youth who are drawn to hip hop, what are they drawn to? They're drawn to that counterculture. Don't tell me what to do. I, I do what I want to do. Kind of uh, a kind of a space, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's one of the things that I always like I always go to when I hear some of the older people talk about how the young artists aren't doing their job or this or that, or they got complaints about these younger artists. And it's like, nah, you're wrong. You're just old now. But if you really mm -hmm. look at the effect these younger artists are having on the kids, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. You know what I'm saying? Like all that's there. Mm -hmm. Like you might want to criticize the technique or you want to criticize the brush strokes or or even the final composition, but you can't you can't take away from another person's art. That's there, you know? The multi-million selling LL Cool J starting out as a counterculture artist. This is exactly why we got Slug on to bring this kind of perspective. But how did this young guy with a booming voice and oodles of charisma make his breakthrough? Well, let's dig into the birth of LL's career with a little help from the Beastie Boys. Here's Adrock and Mike D talking to LL on Rock the Bells Radio about the pivotal role they played in discovering the next rap superstar. Rick Rubin produced a record with uh, DJ Jazzy J and a rapper T Rock called It's Yours. Off of that record, people started sending demo tapes in because it was a rap record and people, some kids started sending demos in. I would cut school and go to Rick's dorm room and I'd hang out. And so there were these tapes. I would listen to the tapes and, and I heard this one tape from this kid named LL Cool J, which already is a weird name. And it was really good. And I really liked it because you could tell that he was in, still in high school and you were using all these words like cumulus cloud and like all the that you had just done your homework or like you were supposed like you'd heard it in school maybe didn't yeah, do the yeah. homework and so rick listened to it and then somehow contacted you and i remember when, the, when you first came in you were what 15 14 yeah, 15, 15 15 something 15 16 yeah and just picture ll now but like really skinny
skinny with like the look of the day. You had clean sneaks on like shell toes, Lees with, with the shoelaces, you know, tied around the legs. Yeah, yeah. And whatever. It was classic. It was classic. Just how you want LL Cool J to be was what you where you walked in. Listening back to those stories now, it shows how LL's case may well have started with humble beginnings, but his prowess was inevitable from the jump. This fully formed rap colossus took no time at all to deliver and influence generations of talent to come, including our guest Slug, who spoke on how big a watershed moment radio really was. You know, LL's impact on me could not be overstated. I wanted to be LL Cool J period, hands down. I wanted to be his DJ, actually. You know, I wanted to be uh -huh. the guy that played his beats for him, picked out what songs he was going to do. And I, I was gunning for that job. I never could figure out who really had that job back then, because you would look at who had different DJs on the records than on the stages or whatever. But I, I wanted to be his Jam Master Jam. Uh, here's the thing. When, when Run DMC happened, that was when the separation occurred between me and my father having the same musical tastes. Because prior to Run DMC, the rapping Melly Mel or the Sugar Hill Gang, me and my father both were like, yeah, you know. And to me, it was no different than some Earth, Wind & Fire or some Parliament. It was just more mm. of the music that I got to hear in my father's car. When Run DMC happened, that's when it was like, nah, this ain't for my dad. This is for me. You know what I'm saying? And I could tell my dad didn't like it. He was, why are they yelling at me? You know, I'm banging on, you know. And I'm like, cool, that's good. That's mine. You mm. know what I'm saying? When LL happened, it almost felt like he made Run DMC turn into my dad. When LL happened in this younger, super hungry, very technical, very technical rhymer started rapping, I was like, whoa, this is for me. Run DMC, that's, that's old people music all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. that, and it's, it's, it's crazy. And that's one of the thoughts I had last night when I was thinking about this. It was like, well, what was it about LL? And I was like, so he, like Run DMC already felt like, okay, this is for me. But LL was just even more of a, a cute look and a cute angle of it. It was like, mm. this is really what I'm all about. Like, I still loved Run DMC, but it almost felt like now these old men are yelling at me, telling me what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah. it, whereas LL was telling me, you know, he, he had middle fingers up and he was like, you know, he, he was to me hip hop. When that happened, it was around the same time as Beat Street. It was around the same time yeah. as a lot of things in my life. You know what I'm saying? A lot of things occurred in my life where my identity shifted. And this was now what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an advocate as well as a creator. I wanted to be a part of this, not just an advocate, but also uh, somebody who, who took part in it and, and somebody who helped clean it and polish it and love it and mm -hmm. feed it and, and grow this tree. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that was, and that was, and that was the beginning of it. So it's not even, I wouldn't even blame LL for it, but he just showed up right at the same time that I showed up. How mad is it that LL's immediate impact was making Run DMC seem ancient with a snap of his fingers? That right there is special. But listening back to LL's first interview on Video Music Box, it was not an overnight thing. Here was a guy who had honed his craft over time and evolved before his music even reached our eardrums. I've been rhyming since I was nine years old, you know. And when I was 11, my grandfather bought me a whole lot of equipment, a whole lot of musical equipment, about $2,000 worth. What I did was, you know, I evolved slowly. It was like a process, evolution, you know what I'm saying? I started off as a young rapper, you know, not doing anything. Went, wrote lyrics, wrote a lot of lyrics. Then I started sending tapes into every record company. I went to a record store and I got all the rap records. And I took the addresses off the rap records and sent a tape to every record company, every record company that was using rap at that time. That's some determination right there from LL. Now let's jump back with Slug to hear exactly what it was that struck him about this young artist who would go on to make Def Jam a powerhouse. 
What do you remember about radio that was so striking? Were there certain tracks that did you catch the stuff on Crush Groove beforehand? I knew I need a beat. I didn't have the 12 inch, even though I was already buying records. I, mm -hmm. I somehow missed that 12 inch. Probably didn't have no money that weekend or something. Yeah. But I had I had it on a tape. Somebody, you know, I had I had a dub of it on a tape. I was familiar with that song and that voice. And I knew I, I, I even was familiar with the Def Jam. I was like, okay, this is dope. He sounds like T La Rock. You know what I'm saying? But but not just like T La Rock, but like uh he, it's T La Rock, but he was growling. Mm. And he sounded young. His voice was a little bit like, hey, you know, yeah, I need I need a beat. You know what I mean? He, and, mm. and so I was like, oh, this dude is dope. I can't wait to hear more. Then I seen him in Crush Groove. Actually, I think I heard radio before I saw Crush Groove. I heard radio and was like, that's that guy. Like I was expecting more T La Rock imitate right. imitations. I, I don't want to say like that because I don't think he was imitating T La Rock, but I mean, I, I was expecting the son of T La Rock when I got the album. And what I got was like, this ain't the son of T La Rock. This is a, this is a whole thing. This is somebody else, you know? You know, it's funny. I would almost compare it to when I first got into, do you know who Shy D is? MC Shy D. I, I don't know much of the work, but I've heard the name okay, for sure. Yep, Absolutely. Yep. A very similar vibe. When I first heard Shy D, it was like, oh yeah, this dude's rapping. But when I heard his album, I was like, yo, where did this guy come from? You know, and, and LL's radio did that to me. It was like, where did this guy come from? And then when you flip it and look at the picture on the back and see him, mm. it was like, yo, he's, a, he's young. Like he's older than me, but not, you know, he wasn't in his 20s. You know what I'm saying? He's a yeah. teenager. You know what I mean? And that was to me, ah, forget about it. It was like, oh, so now somebody set a bar so high that how's anybody ever going to hit that? You know what mm. I mean? It was like, because like I said, Run DMC was, was for me. I loved it. But their bar was set. And then LL came along and like set a higher bar. Yeah. And it didn't mean that Run DMC had to compete with them because it felt more like, oh, they're opening up this and giving it a range so that there's room for oh this is great mm -hmm. because then from there it was like i already loved the fat boys you know yes. what i'm saying so you had you had run mc you had the fat boys now you got ll it just started opening up the whole picture and, and seeing wow there's there's room for these different voices who've had different experiences to to, to rap in different ways you yeah. know what i'm saying to have different styles and stuff it's radio fun. was big yeah. radio hit me hard yeah because he came in man and uh and and, and i guess we're, we're in we're we're talking about radio now. So yeah, that first sure. song on radio, you know, you heard the first song and it was the intro. That was the introduction. The boombox on the front. First song he's talking about. I can't live without my boombox. The boombox was bigger than my face because it was on vinyl. <laughs> yeah. And I was a kid, you know, so to have that big image with that first song, it was a rap. I was already sold. So when you got to the second song, you can't dance. I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what is he doing? Like, okay, so it's okay to be funny when you're also serious. Like the fat boys were funny because that's what it was. Mm. But this dude came out serious and then now he's got jokes too. And it wasn't even like hardy, hard, hard jokes. It was mean. Yeah. It was mean spirited. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was like, yeah. ah, like I, so I was in, man. Like I was in, I was in. And as the record kept going, every song I I, I was in. I, and, and, and I will probably always see that record as being one of the things that, like when you talk about wearing a tape out, mm. I wore that tape out, probably one of the first tapes that I ever wore out. And, and these were dub tapes, you know what I'm saying? But it was like, that's the tape that would get eaten beat mm. up you'd have to re-spool it get a scotch tape tape it back together <laughs> yeah. and and run it and run it back and forth through the boom box to make it so that the scotch tape got pressed in so that it would work you know what i'm saying Damn. tape splicing I, I didn't know that we were, i was tape splicing when i was 13 but that's what it that's what it became 
Yo, 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 just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt and also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying us lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes, including including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s and also you get our series focusing on MF Doom and Jay Dilla and also the Wu-Tang Chronicles. Once a month we drop an album review of every single Wu-Tang member. We're going to go through every solo album and then review it for you guys and right now it's Ghostface. Go in there, get them Ghostface Killer Editions in your catalogue. So get involved, help us grow this show and yes, big yourselves up, enjoy the rest of the episode. Boom. It's so brilliant you said that because coming from a later era, the production I got into, minimalist production was woo. Everything ahead of that was Bomb Squad, Public Enemy obviously being huge, but then going from that to Death Row to Bad Boy, the production was so extravagant growing up. I remember when I first heard radio, I was like, it just sounds like shitloads of things are crashing into one another for like an hour. And I just didn't get it. And I was like, Rick Rubin, I heard he was great. Like, what, what is the, what is this? And my mind was so young. I just couldn't grasp where are the, you know, the, the melodies and where is the, but as you get older and you start appreciating where RZA got his sound sure and that's when you hear Rick Rubin's like things come to the fore and I, and I love the fact that you brought up the jokes because I was listening to You Can't Dance and it's like that's a lie as well they seem so innocent growing up as like yeah he can't dance don't worry about it but if you're 17 and you can't dance <laughs> oh my god like it's just ruthless listen I gotta say something I don't I, I was thinking about this last night and I can't remember and I'm sure somebody could correct me I'm sure there's a video or mm. maybe on a on an episode of that cop show that he was on but I can't remember seeing LL Cool J ever dance oh I I, I saw it once today yeah. and I thought this at Jingling Baby the video at the end he does a little routine I was like oh I've not, okay, okay, I've okay. not seen LL right, break right. routines but I'm with you I am with Jingling you. Baby was 1989 so, I, so then I, I will I withdraw the the criticism that I, that I thought I had there, but, no, but, no, but yeah. we, I took some notes on you can't dance and mm-hmm. oh, that they chose that to be the second song. That's mm. something that I, you know, when you had, he's got 10 songs on here. He chose you can't dance to be the second song. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting choice to me because it's not just a joke song or a, a, we'll, we'll say a mean joker. Mm. You know, he's, he's doing caps. He's doing the dozens. He's snapping on somebody. He's mm-hmm. making fun of somebody. It's that, but he's punching down. That alone as the concept of the second song is interesting, but also it's a it's a rhyme style he's doing. Like it's like it's not emphasizing the rhyme style that he had that he was already mastering. You know what I'm saying? It was and it's almost like, oh, okay. So this dude is also coming at this from a an art angle mm. and he arted it out on a, on a song that was a, a mean joke, you know? And that's yeah. a, that's an interesting, you know, same with that's a lie. That's another kind of mean joke. Really mm. good. I loved it, but mm. he arted the way that he rhymed on that. It wasn't his, you know, it wasn't his normal thing. You know what I mean? So I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I feel like the, I, I'm glad that I revisited that because I didn't, I never saw that. Mm. I just, I just was like, oh, this song is dope. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. this song is okay or whatever. But I never saw it. like, oh, wait, he's doing patterns that are interesting for the time. Mm. And he's doing a, it's not a dad joke. It's not my kind of joke. It's not the mm. Bismarcky kind of joke. It's like, he's, it's mean. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like a, it's arrogant. It's aggressive. 
just like him. So it fit. Yeah. And I thought that was, you know, in hindsight now, it's dope that he did that joke as a second song because that's a way to expand and show us your personality, especially mm. when you're a teenager still. Like to yeah. be able to have to be able to have the opportunity to show different parts of who you are at that young of an age and for it to work and click with people, you've just opened not just doorways for yourself, but for others mm. who are coming behind you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For, for uh, You opened a lot of lanes for a lot of people just, just in this album, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're, and you've already expanded my thinking of the album just with that. And he's 17 doing that. And that's great. I know a lot of hip hop is youth and newness above, you know, tradition and oldness. But as a 17 year old, you can't help but remind, admire the charisma on every one of these tracks. There's so yeah. much charisma there. And for him to be so boastful and to be so, like it is one of the most braggadocious, all these three albums are that really. They go to braggadocious overload at some point. It's funny when I look at the album cover, which I love, and think he didn't even put his face on it. You know, for someone like Bad and, uh, and Walking Like a Panther, you do think, and then you have like Mama Said Knock You Out where he's got his body, you know, like chiseled body at the front. And you're like, the first one was just no face. It was just like a boom box and that was it. And kind of love that. It's brilliant, I thought, yeah. You brought up Mama Said Knock You Out and I don't want to I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I want to say like that was a reset. And I think we all knew that he had to hit reset after walking with a panther. And and, and we'll get into it. We'll talk about why. But yeah. it's everything. Like you just said, from the artwork, he went from having no picture to having himself on the cover mm. to him fully that walking with a panther artwork is we'll get to that. Yes, people, we will indeed get to that Walking with a Panther artwork. But first, Slug touched on LL hitting reset with Mama Said Knock You Out. And to nail that point home, here's Eminem talking to Rock the Bells Radio on just how huge that moment was after this three-album run. Mama Said Knock You Out. To me, it was such an unorthodox hit. It's another way that I'm, I'm saying like LL has been such an innovator for a song like that to be a hit. He is so raw on that song that something like that could become a hit. It just changed the whole game because you didn't have to have like a singy pop hook or anything like that to like get on the radio and radio played the fuck out this song. And to me, it was not even a, an attempt it wasn't even an attempt to make a hit. It was more like him getting this shit off his chest. But the song was so good that you couldn't front on it. And it just became something that was just organic. It gives you chills, man. Now, another thing I wrote down was about Dear Yvette. That's the one where mm. I hear the Roxanne Shantae influence. I don't really want to diss nobody. You might think I had a little too much Bacardi, mm. but that's not the problem. The problem's Yvette. How bad can the girl's reputation get? You know, that style, that's the first I heard him do that style. And yeah. now, you know, because he, again, he usually was riding, he was riding the drums really hard. And here he was going to this kind of like, I'm thinking and I'm saying it while I'm thinking it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that to me always, I, I give Shantae credit for that style. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, I think she... I lived in Minneapolis, so I wasn't there in the in, in the in the club seeing the who invented what. But in my experience, she was the first person I ever heard to kind of do that style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was like, and that's my style. Now I stole that style. You know what I'm saying? I do a lot of that now. I I, I don't I don't really ride the beat mm. hard. I don't get in front of the beat. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I I, I fall back a little bit and and and, and Snoop also has yes. that style. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. he's, 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 he's huge on that, you know, but I, I, so when I, when I hear that, I can't help but think, oh, that's Shantae. Mm. Even though technically this is at the same time as Shantae. 
You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. she was putting out 12 inches at the same time that, that, that this, this album was coming out. You know what I mean? So for sure, I, I can't say he stole the style or by any means, I would never accuse LL of any such thing, Mm-mm-mm. but it's just capturing an era. It's capturing a moment in rap of a, a piece of rap all mm. on this first debut album. You know what I'm saying? By a teenager. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's, it's pretty genius. And I'm sure he had great people around him. How could he not? He's so charismatic and there's so much there that I think everybody who was around him realized this is special and we have to really, really take care of this. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, and, and, I, and I think, that, I think that's, that's what has to happen in order for something like that to work as mm. well as it did. So we can't talk about this three album run without speaking on the legend that is Rick Rubin. The stripped back genius of radio came from the adventurous mind of a man who actually couldn't play any instruments, yet somehow started Def Jam from his dorm room and possessed the vision to help bring hip hop to the global masses. Light years ahead in scope, Rubin launched LL right to the top of rap, going on to work with the likes of Jay-Z, Slayer, Kanye West, Johnny Cash, and so many more. As a kid, he hung around magic shops and to this day he says he still thinks about magic all the time. Amazing. To get an insight into the mindset of this production wizard who has slowly become the Gandalf of hip-hop, here he is briefly describing his outlook on life and art. There are no right answers for anything involved in art. It's We're, we're all trying experiments to find a way. And even for the things that I work on, I don't have a set way that I do anything. I believe we know close to nothing, close to nothing about anything. If we embrace that not knowing, we'll have a healthier experience going through life. Man, what a liberating way of looking through life. Now let's get back with Slug to pick up on Ruben's legacy and how he made radio so singular. When it's something I like, I want you, Rick Rubin's production on that is amazing. Even just the last 40 seconds of that track, you can just let that ride out and it's just sublime. It's sublime 80s masterpiece production and it's just on a track that a young man is talking to a young girl and saying how much he wants her. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out that song out because it's a song that as a kid I definitely would have forwarded. But as a grown man now, I look, listen to it and think, Fair play, man. You, you, you know, I don't know how easy that was in 85 to be, to be just putting your soul out there and doing a kind of a love song in a hard hip hop record, you know? You know, I think it might've been easier then than it was later. Right. I think later on when more people were doing it and then when it got pigeoned as like a, oh, you, only softies do that. Like this was before mm. it got the bad rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. and I would almost go as far as to say LL kind of invented the rap love song. And that don't mean he's the first rapper to rap about love. He invented the, I'm going to tell this story about my love for you. It's a real love song. It's not just, mm. I love is love and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I love you and all that. No, this, he was like pining for somebody. You know what mm. I'm saying? And there's two on this record. I want you. And I could give you more. And both of them are, to me, they weren't even hidden gems. I loved them songs even when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, because I I wanted to make out with girls. And so to hear this other teenager talk about like him pining for somebody, I was like, I'm I'm pining for people. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It just was like, it, 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 it was fine for me. And the drums were still hard. So it wasn't like soft songs. Plus the piano joint. I could give you more. Had this mm. piano, dun, ding, ding, ding. Like, and 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 I've always been a sucker for the piano on rap records. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, right. bridge is over, biz. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I, like, uh, uh, you put a piano on there, and you 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 got my ear right away. Right. Period. You know, the other one, yeah. the one you were referencing, I want you has a a sample from 
another Def Jam record. It's the mm-hmm. the click clock of the the, the 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 clock on a Jimmy Spicer joint. I could be wrong, but I think Rick Rubin might have produced that one too. You know ah. what I mean? So it's like, but Rick did that. He would recycle sounds all like you hear sounds on this record that were ended up on Beastie Boy records later. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, uh, and, and so it's interesting. It was an interesting time. And 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 Rick made a lot of really good albums. But it's interesting that I don't think he really got his. He didn't really get to that you know, godly status that people have him at until later when he started going, well, I can also do rock records and I can do a Johnny mm-hmm. Cash record and I could do, yeah, I could do anything. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's when I was like, oh, this dude didn't just make rap beats. This, this dude is like the Butch Vig of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah. he, he does, he does whatever and he makes it sound good. What's special about Rick Rubin to you? I know you said that he goes into other things, but when you were a kid, what did you hear in a Rick Rubin record you're not hearing in other records? He was making rock records. He was making metal records, punk rock records, and he was doing it all through rap. The Beastie Boys had metal there, there was metal on their records. This LL Cool J that we're talking about, this record, Radio, is a, is a punk rock record. Yeah, I would compare Radio to Nirvana's Bleach. If, if you follow Nirvana and look at their career and their first three albums, from Bleach to Nevermind to In Utero, there's kind of a similarity for me from Radio to Bigger and Deffer to Walking with a Panther, right. specifically in in the in the production side of things and in the way that the way that they chose to attack you. Because when Bigger and Deffer happened, the production was still LL. It was still fit him, but now it started to get wider and you started to see more noises come through, you know, like almost like pre-Bomb Squad. Like I feel like when I feel like I heard I, there's things on that record on, on Bigger and Deffer that could have been Bomb Squad beats. You yeah. know, they weren't. They, it was it was Bobcat and his crew, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so for me with Rick, he put rock inside of these rap records because prior to him, there was no rock in these rap records. People were just kind of yeah. rapping to funk beats. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he, he was the one that made it go, oh no, if you just strip it down to this drum machine and some noises, now it's in your face. It's yeah. huge. It's big. You know, and with, with radio, he was able to make something that was minimal, but still sound bigger than everything that was coming out that mm. year. You ask what non-90s 90s rappers could rap on this. I, I wrote down Lupe and Kendrick. And the reason is because they both would be able to do what they do Mm. very well and roll with the fact that it's so minimal like Kendrick would still sound really good on these beats and so would Lupe and the other thing I I guess if I was to pick a hidden gem on this was the I need a beat remix and and I will explain Mm. why that's because as far as rap remixes go usually what you do is you change the beat or yeah you add a new verse to it or you know there's different ways of approaching it and this they took his first single, which wasn't, you know, it was a single, and then his album came out. And, and you always put your first single on the album somewhere, but instead of just putting it on there as is, it sounds like a DJ is live mixing it. And yeah. so he's like juggling and cutting it in and doing things. And they recorded that and put that on the album as the remix. And I, to this day, I can't think of anybody who, I've never seen anybody do that before. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that again, where mm. your first single, of course, it's on your album, but you changed it. And you made it now the dj is the star of the song not mm. the rapper you know what i'm saying yeah. and it's like pretty pretty intense and I, I i think i will always look at that and and be inspired by the risk that him and rick took by deciding to put the single on like that you mm. know what i'm saying as opposed because the single was a hit people loved it and so so to risk putting it on there is like suddenly this like dj club version where it's like yo he's cutting it and changing it and it's not even perfect it's yeah. human just like a dj live doing it you know what i'm mm. saying like i thought that was phenomenal also there's a lot of cringy stuff on this record we don't have to go into <laughs> it but to me ll was not a hot bar kind of guy 
Mm-hmm. His, his presentation was attitude, not bars. In fact, I don't yes. think rappers were even barring out back then. They were presenting an entertainer, a yeah. cool a star of the show. And mm. so to me, LL's presentation wasn't bars. It was the young, hungry, adrenaline rush teenager coolest guy in the room also could beat you up also all the girls liked him like it was everything that us kids wanted to be so a lot he says a lot of cringy stuff but i gotta say the song dear yvette when i was a kid felt like this cautionary tale this wisdom being given to us teenagers to not be promiscuous now in hindsight the song is so problematic like there is so much wrong with you could never say these things Yeah. Today, it's very interesting me looking at that going, wait, though, when I was a kid, this was actually one of the more gems in the sense of he's dropping knowledge. Mm. You know, he's he's doing it again in a way that's kind of like snark and, and, and angry and a little bit mean, almost to the point that I wonder if maybe there was if that song wasn't some sort of weird revenge against yeah. like an ex-girlfriend. You know what I'm saying like there's yeah. some really mean stuff on there, but I still took it as a, you know, make sure when I start you know hanging out with girls don't sleep around yeah. you know be, don't, yeah. don't don't be promiscuous you know what i'm saying like that's how i took that song but now in hindsight i hear that song and i'm just like yo <laughs> like it's cringy so as we're speaking about a rap goat we had to reach out to one of our favorite voices in the rap podcast world and hear from dad bod rap pods nate leblanc on his thoughts of ll cool j I think what's really interesting about LL Cool J at this point is uh, when you ask, you know, maybe someone who's not super invested in hip hop culture to picture a rapper in their head, they're still picturing LL Cool J. It's the high tops, it's the track pants, no shirt, big chain, Kangol. LL Cool J is the definitive rapper in many ways, and he's made a lot of great songs. I really like aggressive LL Cool J. Rock the Bells obviously have become a huge brand for him, but the original version of it with the DJ cuts is just such an incredible song that energy the closest thing to that in his discography later which was a bigger hit and a huge kind of connection for him and Marley was Mama Said Knock You Out that was an iconic MTV video moment you know the boxing metaphor that is often used in hip hop is kind of brought to life in that video and LL Cool J has had a lot of different phases of his career he's had a lot of successes some missteps but I really respect him as an MC as an artist as an an entrepreneur and as someone who is the living breathing embodiment of hip-hop culture from a time when there just weren't that many rappers and especially not successful solo rappers he was a huge solo act in a group time and his early Def Jam records have a lot of great songs on them and his later kind of you know more like lover boy stuff holds up on certain occasions as well but for me it's all about the raw kid from Queens with the Kangol on that was an incredible rapper and uh, someone who should really be respected. What a brilliant breakdown. Much love to Dad Bod Rap Pod and Nate right there. Now, let's get back to Slug and discuss what is the idea of a three-album run during the 1980s. By 1989, we were looking at the runs, you know, because by then you had Big Daddy Kane had two albums out. Shan had two. Karis one might have had three already. Mm. Um, Rakim, I think, had three already or, or was at least coming on his third. Yes, you know, yeah. Run, Run DMC had had like four, I think, yeah. at that point. So, so now we were starting to realize that our connection to these artists is fueling them and keeping them going. So now it's our job to judge them. It's our job to understand and to stare at what they're doing and to start to be picky and to start to be, which we did and we mm. and we'll get to it but we we collectively judged walking with a panther 
very harshly when that mm-hmm. record came out we 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 held that against him we we we, held, we took that personal when he made that record but we'll get to that we're going to go into like um if you were to put an argument towards him being the goat you know apart from him coining the term itself but like, i was thinking about it i was like do you know what with ll even though he did do these things i don't ever remember thinking of a time growing up thinking he's completely sold out he's vanilla iced it it's really odd even though he did blatantly do things where you were like why are you doing this but he had so much credit in the bank yeah he had a pass him and will smith they were so influential Mm. and did so much good stuff we would judge the bad stuff but we would never fire them they never got fired because they helped build it you could say that about a lot of the golden era artists that they made some questionable decisions and but also now in hindsight you can look at it and go yeah but they're people and they didn't know what they were doing Everybody was just kind of feeling their way through it and, and doing what seemed to make the most sense to them at the time. And but, but when you look at somebody like LL or Fresh Prince, now you see it. Now mm. you realize this is why you never got fired because you are you're the president. Mm. You're the president of the company. You made a really good point there, by the way. They're doing it. They're people. First of all, as we said, they're young. They're from impoverished backgrounds, majority of them. And they're writing the rules as they go. Of course, there's going to be these things because then 10, 20 years later, you can reap the rewards of a Kendrick or a, or a Drake as some people have likened LL to, you know, and you think, no wonder you can do what you can do because these people made all the mistakes before you and you've seen how reactions go. Now let's fast forward to 1987 where LL switched it all up, going from the minimalism of Rick Rubin to making one of his biggest career albums, Bigger and Deffer. And it did exactly what it said on the label. This was big, brash, brag rap, birthing classic songs like I'm Bad and I Need Love and showing LL's fondness of laying new inroads and being the exception to the rule. As Sorin Baker points out in his superb book, History of Gangsta Rap, LL predated Ice Cube's formative steps of collaboration with artists from different cities and coasts by linking with the LA Posse for this Bigger and Deffer album. And at the same time in 1987, a recurring facet of LL's career kicked into gear. Beef with his industry peers on wax, with Cormo D allegedly taking offence to LL's lines on the doo-wop from Bad and airing out LL on his How You Like Me Now LP, including the artwork as well as the lyrics, the world got to witness just how savage LL could get over a beat with tracks like Jack the Ripper. So let's get back to Slug to hear how he saw LL Cool J at that time. In my head, he was part of the new school. At the time, that was the new school, the, the late 80s. The old school was the, you know, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure Jack the Ripper actually came out after Bigger and Deffer. I think right. Jack the Ripper was, was a response to Cool Mo D. For sure. Specifically, because after Bigger and Deffer, Cool Mo D saw LL and was like, yo, young buck, who are you to say you're the best of all time? And he, he just for no reason started taking shots at LL just to bring him down a notch or something. So LL mm. came back and was just like, nah, son. Anyway, <laughs> when Bigger and Deffer hit, first thing I heard was I'm Bad, the first song on Oof. the album. I heard it and saw the video. It blew my mind. And I had to go get the 12-inch. I was like, oh, he's back already. You know what I'm saying? Because at yeah. the time, that was fast. Two years? You're already back? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was really about a year and a half because I'm pretty sure Radio was a winter album. And Bad right. was kind of like springtime, I think, when I heard that because it was like, a, it ended up becoming a summer album for me. I, it was what I was expecting. Bad was exactly what it was, what I 
needed, what I thought he was capable of, but it also took it further and it showed mm. me more than I needed and showed me that he was capable of more than I thought. So it, at, you know, on first listen, I was like, oh yeah, this is right. Once the album came out, I was like, oh wait, this is the next step for this guy. He really, yeah. really, really took the next step. And that's what you do. That's what you have to do. Your, your second album is where you go, okay, my first album showed you, hey, hey, I'm here. Mm. My second album is like, hey, hey, I'm supposed to be here. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this, I'm I'm here. For, I'm here for a reason. And then your third album is supposed to be like legendary status. I clinched it. It's a wrap. It's over. Did you feel that when you were making music with Atmosphere? Did you have none of that in your heads when you were making? Absolutely albums? not, man. I did it all wrong, man. Uh, for my first five albums, I was like, "Are you guys sure you don't want to fire me? You know, I, 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 you sure you want me here? You know, that's I, I because yeah. that's just who I am. You know what I mean? Like I, I still to this day am, am kind of like just waiting, looking over my shoulder. Waiting for my boss to come in and say, hey, pack up your desk. You know what I'm saying? It's just, mm. but I guess that's, that speaks to not just insecurity, but also ethic. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I, my, my, my work ethic is that I don't allow myself to, uh, there's no entitlement here. We don't have to talk about that right now. I'm not paying you. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, Fair enough. uh, bigger and deafer, mm -hmm. uh, boom. Mm -hmm. First song introduction mm. kills it. It's, it's a rap. I'm bad. I'm bad. Second song candy. What? Really? This is where you're going to go next? Yes. Okay. I didn't realize it, but that was him letting me know, oh, I am really all about the ladies. I love touring. I love these women. Mm. I love the party. I love these ladies. I don't know if that's really what he was on, but that's what he's presenting. Mm. And again, Candy, like Dear Yvette, full of problematic stuff. The yeah. difference is Dear Yvette was kind of like this weird slut shaming thing. Mm. And Candy was this weird kind of slut celebrating for me to be like, wait, hold up. You're the one telling me not to be promiscuous or not to find myself in situations with people who I know to be promiscuous. Mm. And then just a year and a half later, you're like, no, you got to go get it, son. She's a freak. You know, it was just yeah. kind of like, oh, man, well, how you really messing me up as a teenager. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, but the song banged again, hard drums. Boom, boom, mm. You know, it was just like in the in the James Brown sample. And the oh! samples. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Really super dope, super dope. And still, just like the first album was the samples that were on the first album were all samples that you could just find on all the ultimate breaks and beats albums. Same thing mm. with the samples on this record. Like when you really look at how much of the good stuff from the 80s were built off of the ultimate breaks and beats compilation albums, you got to give those people credit specifically. Well, you got to, you got to give Breakbeat Lou credit for, for, for what happened there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because his influence on all of the music that built the foundation of what we consider to be the recordings of, of hip hop is, is all it's, it's amazing. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, yeah, going off that, topic, uh, what happened after candy get down? Hey, now I'm hearing this and being like, hold up. Rick Rubin is not the producer mm. and I'm hearing it because now I'm hearing turntable stuff where Rick wanted to hear scratching on records, but it didn't matter if the scratching was amazing. Mm. It just had to be on the record. It's like, Oh, it's like, it's a guitar. You got to put the guitar on the record. You mm. got to put the scratching on the record. Make sure there's some scratching, you know? Mm. And I knew that about Rick when you hear uh, 99 problems, like it still fits that the sound has to be there, but it doesn't yeah. have to be amazing. Suddenly the, the scratching on bigger and deafer was amazing. It pushed the envelope for 1987 of what scratching is supposed to be. And he had to because people outside of his camp were pushing that envelope. You had DJs from around the world starting to really do dope things. And LL had to present that in his music. LL always, always stayed, for better or for worse, 
stayed relevant to the time, to the era that he was making music in. And we hold that against him and don't realize that what we're doing is we're holding it against him that he managed to stay relevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we don't all stay relevant as listeners. We don't only keep up with what's happening. But yeah, yeah. That's when I'm going, oh, okay, Bobcat. Who is this guy? The LA Posse. What, mm-hmm. Who are these people? Because that's who was doing the production on Bad. And so I'm like, yeah. ah, I, okay, I'm going to keep my eye open for these guys. Love that point Slug made on LL staying relevant and sometimes getting hate for it. Speaking on the legendary Combat Jack show, LL actually touched on the aspect of his career and how this three album run set trends. And you know what? What's interesting is that at that time, you know, people was mad at me for the ice and the jewelry and the champagne and the girls. And when I had Panthers on the covers and was cutting the tops off sixes and convertibles and Mm. diamond rings and ices. Back then, you was the worst guy in the world for doing that. See, now, you know, Jay and Rick Ross and these guys, they run around and do that. And people think it's like something new. It's all love, like don't get me wrong, but I'm just showing you how sometimes you could be a little ahead of your time. You're you know way ahead of your time. LL Cool J, that's levels right there. And his forward-thinking and brash persona wasn't just confined to the Sonics on his albums; it bled into the records' artwork. The album cover might be one of the coolest album covers. Every young lad wants to look that fresh, you know. Yep. And being and be in the basement punching a bag, you know, a Bismarck key in the back. You know, apparently, Bismarck key was in his basement when he was like making this stuff. And you think, what a, what a life, man, you know. And uh, yeah, it's kind of aspirational, which makes me wait. Think, hold up, that's Bismarck key on there? No, 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 not not in the not on the cover, but you hear. But uh, I think oh, when Biz that, passed, LL was saying he used to be in. He my, was at. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, he's not uh, on the cover. Yeah. No. 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 Glenn, Glennie for Friedman mm. took that photo. And ah. at the time, he was kind of like the hip hop photographer, period. I know that he's he's got a book that when you go through it, you're like, oh, my God, I've seen all these photos before. Mm. It's like one of those things where it's like those photos. And we're talking pre-internet. These photos made the rounds. You know what I mean? And so it's like that's iconic as a, wow. as a photographer. And so for them to tap him for the cover art. Yeah, that's what you do when you are a star, when you are on your way to become our first rap pop star. Of course, you got photos from Glenny e. Friedman, who who also was famous for doing all the punk rock bands. All you know, what I mean, it's like, mm. and so that's that's tight to me. Love and that. yeah, the cover art to that, you, you nailed it. Every every kid, every testosterone fueled male kid mm. wanted to be exactly what the cover of that record was, and, and the back cover. Yeah. yeah, and it was all gold. There's gold <laughs> foil. That style, uh, I, I don't remember seeing that kind of like the word bad the way it was gold Mm. on the cover was like it made it stand out technically one of the best rap album covers of all time i think the way the the light the lighting in the back was green how do you do that because glennie friedman was not the type of dude to fake it to color things or to it was really green back there you know what i'm saying he he put he somehow he made it look green and the way it went with the red that ll was wearing yeah the audi all of it. I love how they restored the Audi recently. I, I, I know he's Hall of Fame, big up, you know, it, it was enough times he was trying to get in and then to see him restore the Audi and Eminem's like, oh, these chains, yeah, they're from the I'm Bad video. And you're like, what? Like, that's the gravitas of someone like LL. Like, his chains are going on what some people may call, you know, one of the best rappers of all time. Who's just like, I can't believe I've got the chains. And you're like, this is, yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah. What I mean? it's amazing. Now let's switch it up and hit up our man Dano from Free Music Empire. Regular listeners will know the man will bring that unique perspective to proceedings and he does exactly that when talking about LL Cool J. Dan O, Free Music Empire, underline it. Write it down and underline it what I'm about to tell you, all right? LL Cool J, cheat code. The distance between LL Cool J and Cool Keith 
is not as vast as you'd imagine. That's what you need to know. People view LL as stability, long career, exactly the opposite. A maniac, maniac. If you look at the singles, they're incredible in terms of how they've spread. You know, jingling, what is this? You know, going back to Cali, think about how insane doing it is. For a major artist, it is one of the most vivid sexual songs you can remember in hip hop. And LL Cool J did it. It wasn't too live crew. That's LL, right? The power of LL Cool J is, you know, pink cookies in a plastic bag being crushed by mountains, right? That is insane. It's going from Mr. Smith to phenomenon. That is the essence of LL Cool J, someone who is jumping off in all the directions. That's why the beefs were so good for him because they were writing prompts. He just loved it. He was like, oh, this will be fun. And he just went off in that direction. And so that is the essence of LL Cool J is insane experimentation. He is someone that constantly needed to be triggered, whether it was working with EPMD, you know, track masters or switching it up. He always needed to be kind of flicked, triggered, agitated into a new phase. LL is a maniac. I love that. And he nails the idea of LL going on from this three album run and being driven to make his career one of the longest in rap. But now let's get back to Slug to round off our chat about bad and even bring out some LL props. I want to say if there were two rappers who could rap alongside him on bad from yeah. the night from 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 today i would put royce the five nine or merce actually on interesting because i think both of them could bring that confidence and arrogance and adrenaline you know what i'm saying like yeah and both of them royce is very lyrical but 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 his you know his his blade is still his mm. ability to come in sharp and hard you know what i'm saying mm. and merce has the stamina the rap stamina to be able to rap forever and not repeat himself. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, and, and that's kind of what LL to me was on Bigger and Deffer. So yeah. thanks for letting me, I, I wanted to remember to mention that. Were there any tracks then off here that you really wanted to dive into? Like, uh, man, I'm Bad is probably, it's untouchable. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm. it's, it's untouchable. Like that song embodies everything that rap music should embody. Every part of it. It's got the, it's, it's got humor. It's got great bars. It's got super cringe bars that he says that he makes sound great. He says some of the cringiest stuff on that song, on this album in general. He says things mm -hmm. where you're like, really? It kind of gives us a hint to where he's going to go yeah. uh, in the future. You know, it's like, but he manages to, uh, on one song, he says, I'm not a hula hoop. <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying? On I'm Bad, he says, I've got a gold nameplate that says, I wish, <laughs> wish you, you would. would. <laughs> Wait, hold, hold on one second. I got to show you something. Hold up. Okay. Hold up. That is one of my favorite bars though. For anyone listening, I've got a gold nameplate that says, wish you would. It's just, come on. Amazing. I got to show this to you. I, for, I totally forgot about this. Okay. So he says, yeah. I got a gold nameplate that says, I wish you would. So I had somebody make me <laughs> no a wooden, way. a wooden, it's out of a skateboard. It's a wooden nameplate that says, I wish you gold. <laughs> So I could say, I got a wood nameplate that says, I wish you gold. I'm bad. All right. 
That is superb. That is superb. That's the uh, love I've, right there. Yeah, I've got some other things. You want to hit, give me an hour plus a pen and a pad. You want to hit, give me an hour and a pen and a pad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hat is like a shark's fin. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Jelly you, bean. Crush you like yeah, a jelly I'll crush bean. you like a jelly bean. <laughs> Forget Oreos. Eat Cool J cookies. <laughs> Doug, we were kids. We're like, he's making cookies. You know what I'm saying? I would have, I would have, Doug, ma, 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 can we get the Cool J cookies? Yeah. He's bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely but even the video when you're seeing him crush the jelly bean he personifies all of it he really owns it all he's like i crush you like a jelly bean puts his foot down and stomps and crushes it i kind of love that i kind of love that owning it you know and just kind of going in with it which he does on i need love and i know that track i like the idea of making a song that's actually more for women to listen to on a hard album and you could say it's cynical. You could say he's trying to sell. But it's like, well, at least he's a, a, approaching people who probably aren't approached very well in a lot of hip hop, you know? And he's like, this is for you guys. And this is the other dimension to myself. What did you think when you heard it first time? I didn't like it. Like, I, I didn't mind. Like I said, I loved the first two love songs on the first album. Mm-hmm. The reason I didn't like I Need Love is because it sounded different. Yeah. He, there was a ton of reverb on his voice. It was a fake Casio keyboard sounding ding, ding, ding. Like, I didn't like that. And it embodies the second most cringiest line ever said in a rap song. He says, I love you more than a man who's 10 feet tall. <laughs> and that shit broke my heart. I was like, I mean, he made up for it all over the album. So I, I didn't hold it against him. I was just like, oh, okay. So to me, that was the skippable song to the point where I never fully memorized it the way I had the rest of the album memorized. You know, mm. I'm sure if you play it now, I got most of it. I could rap along to it, but I might miss a few spots because it just got skipped. It's funny because back then it was all vinyl. So it was super like skipping something was a physical thing. It wasn't just yeah. pushing one button. Yeah, you know I mean, it was a physical thing. So skipping something really meant something. It, it was a real mm. statement. There's two skippable joints on this album. Uh, that one and Go Cut Creator Go. And okay. that's just for me, in my opinion. I just never liked the way they use the 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 sample on it i I just didn't like that it reminded me of wipeout by the fat boys i didn't like that one either where Uh, they were taking they were drawing from this era of rock that i just didn't want nothing to do with mm -hmm. i didn't mind when these guys were putting heavy guitars in there for the most part i mean oftentimes i didn't like it either because a lot of times like with the beastie boys on the first album the, the songs i skipped mostly were the probably the heavier guitar ones but this one wasn't even a heavy guitar man it was like that the chuck berry joint and all i saw was you know white girls with skirts doing this dance thing yeah i couldn't get it but there's a thing on go cut creator go that i always loved and it falls into my favorite sample on the album category so my favorite sample of the album is also on here and my least favorite sample was on here but it's um l l cool j is where they sample rock the bells my thing is who did that who did the scratching? Because it says all scratches done by Bobcat. Right. But when you listen to that, did Bobcat do that? Or did they lift it from when Jazzy Jeff did it at the new music seminar in 1986? Because that's how he won that DJ battle right. was he busted out that Rock the Bells. He broke down the Rock the Bells thing in 86. That tape circulated all the way to Minneapolis and beyond. I had a tape of the new music seminar. I still have it where, where Jazzy Jeff does that. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jazzy Jeff does that routine, wins that battle. So in 87, Bobcat supposedly is doing that routine now here. And so, A, did they ever thank Jeff or did they sample Jeff or whatever happened mm. to that? I'd love to hear Jazzy Jeff talk about that now, see what he says about that. But it blew my mind because to me, it was like, oh, that's only a year old. You can mm. sample something 
from a year ago mm. oh like that i didn't i'd never seen that people always sampled old records you know what i mean yeah. like it was like oh you just you just seen somebody do that so was it did you cover it did you sample it i, I don't know but yeah go cut creator go it's not my favorite song the rapping on there's fine but it's straight up like you like six to eight times you have to hear that yeah you do you do ah, man <laughs> hated it man yeah i feel you no disrespect to chuck berry like i love chuck berry but i just it's like his biggest hit. Mm. That's his biggest hit. You're going to put his biggest hit and you're going to make me hear it this many times. Like once would have been dope. Yeah. Because then it would have been like a DJ thing. He did it one time. Yeah. But it's like you you built the song on that on that sound. and ah. Yeah. Slug bringing that deep knowledge of Jazzy Jeff routines in the 1980s. Love it. Now, before we move on, we have to talk about LL Cool J's actual rhyming. Despite being a maestro of brag rap, bombastic proclamations, and translating the culture of hip-hop for the whole of the globe to hear, LL has had shots against him for lack of social commentary in his lyrics. But listening to him in 2020, summing up how huge populations of people were feeling after the murder of George Floyd in the US, as a lifelong LL fan, it surprised me just how deep he went. The sheer power and emotion of this culture was still embodied in his voice, showing us that his artistry still has major purpose. For 400 years, you had your knees on our necks, a garden of evil with no seeds of respect. In America's mirror, all she sees is regret. Instead of letting blood live, they begging for bloodlet. Revenge is a dish that's served on platelets. Transfusion or confusion, abusing our intellect. I can't be bought with a $1,200 check, even though $1,200 can make a meal stretch. My mama wasn't rich, but she earned my respect. She made a little bit of money for a lot of blood, tears, and sweat. Jumping up and down on police cars, I'm vexed. After Chauvin killed George Floyd, we got next. Molotov cocktails, anarchy on the set. The rich took the loot, so now we loot shit. Feeling like a caged tiger that's whipped to do tricks. That's why I started fires and yelled and threw bricks. They tried to run me over and arrest me and shit. Taze pepper spray and engaged with the kid. They ran up in the state house with them AKs quick. But let a nigga try and do that white boy shit. Won't be no rubber bullets ricocheting off ribs. But the white supremacists go in the cops' faces spit. Try to barbecue? Becky call the cops on the kid. Hoping and praying it'd be some Emmett Till shit. Sandra wasn't bland. They hated Mike because he brown. Trayvon should have had an Aston Martin riding around. I'ma do Diallo. It's way too many to follow. Vato. How much of my pride I gotta swallow? God only knows how deep this plan goes. I was dealing with this shit as a teen in Kangos. That's a stark reminder right there of just how incredible LL is at his craft for wordplay. But going back to the peak of this three album run, we had to ask Slug, just how good was LL at the art of rapping back in 1987? As a rapper, could you even say he's king of New York in 87? Yeah, I, I feel like in 87, I don't know if I had a king of New York. Mm. To me, in '87, yeah, I would say LL was the was was top in New York in '87. He was he was the king at the time because you had Rakim and you had Karis One starting to bubble, Big Daddy Kane, but they didn't have the catalog yet. You know what I'm saying? It was mm. like just the beginnings for them. In in time, I do think that they created along with Cool G Rap, they created a climate that LL had to figure out his place in, and that was interesting because those guys, nobody. Nobody has ever had to figure out their place in this yet. Yes. This was a new, this was an, everybody was allowed to just do them. And LL was going, okay, this career is starting to turn into a, a longer career. How do I navigate this? So he, I think he might've been the first one that we got to visually and, and audibly watch 
find out where he's supposed to be. And to him, he's supposed to be king. So it was a it was an interesting time. Was there any other tracks I, I need to talk to you about? Do what? The best thing on this album was the doo wop back then. Yeah. And now it's still the doo-wop. When I revisited this album last night, I have so much love for so many parts of this album. I love the humor of the Bristol Hotel and mm. the humor in My Rhyme Ain't Done. But I also love how he got to show us that he's a fucking weirdo. He was saying things that are just like, that's what you chose to say. And not only that, but we accepted it. We accepted what you were saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I know a fat girl. She wears an orange skirt. It was just like, really? That's what you're going to say right now? Yeah. Like, him and Mickey Mouse went and had... Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just like really? Like he got to he got to show us what kind of a weirdo he is and I do think that that part of his personality mm. is super important to why he is the icon that he is because mm. he is a weirdo. He is a nerd, but he's also a jock. But he's yeah. also, you know, it's like he 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 embodied the elements of all the people that we saw and came across. He he was so much of all of it that it totally worked. Anybody could relate to this dude if you wanted to. You're so right. This, this is just going into what I was saying about the weird. Like, when did this start? This weirdness of pink cookies in a plastic bag getting crushed by buildings. I know his story is when he's making these kind of track names, he said he was high, which is odd when you when you hear him accept that. It's a bit like Dre, but I remember watching the I'm Bad video again recently, and it's really anti-drug. It's all anti-drug messaging. And you that think, was the era, though. That was yes. the era of rap. Run DMC and them were anti-drug. You know, one of my mm. favorite stories that, that Ant tells about going to the Run DMC concert was uh, at one point um, they were on stage and, and they were doing some crowd response kind of thing. Run says, Run. who's got weed? If anybody's got weed, throw it up on stage. And then you see him look nervous for a second and go, so we can step on it. God. And because <laughs> it was like, no, they actually want the weed. <laughs> but rappers didn't want to get canceled. There was a fear of getting canceled, you know, like pre-cancel culture, but mm. a fear of being like written off as a fad. The powers that be are letting us do this and letting us make money. If they decide to, 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 to pull the plug, then mm. we're all stuck with nothing. And I think that fear is why you had rappers doing anti-drug messaging. You know, on one hand, it's like, well, that's kind of cool. But on the other hand, it's like, well, it wasn't very realistic because what it did is it just painted it with this broad stroke that drugs are bad, as opposed to you really got the ears of these kids. We could we could give them credit for how intelligent they really are and speak to them in ways that can guide them. That mm. doesn't sound like you're selling them some bullshit. You know what I'm mm. saying? And so. So, so I, I agree with you, you know, because you do hear LL thought it was tobacco. The shit was Seth. Seth. you know, you hear him, you hear him say things where it's like, oh, he smokes weed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which to me was, was like, oh, that's cool. Cause I was starting to experiment with weed and I was kind of like weirded out that all my rappers were dissing weed. Cause I kind of liked it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I, I was young, but when I, like in the, in the late eighties, when I first started experimenting with pot, I couldn't let nobody know because it was in my head, everybody looked down on it. You know, why, right. why do you think they call it dope? You know what I mean? Like everybody looked down on it. Now you can go to go to Walgreens and buy gummies. You know what I'm saying? Like mad, mad. Go figure. Hey. Hey. You know, one thing, both these albums had Easter eggs on them. Okay. Uh, radio and Bigger and Deffer had Easter eggs at the end of the albums where he just talked and did some funny shit. It wasn't songs, but that's what we called them. Easter eggs. You, you didn't know it was necessarily going to be there. You didn't know what, you know, oh, what is that? Oh, he's just clowning. Me and mm -hmm. Ants, we, we did that. And I think it's because of LL. But if you go through our early albums, specifically vinyl, if you if you if you find 12 inches atmosphere 12 inches through the aughts there's easter eggs at the ends of all the 12 inches we'd, we'd record right. little things and put dumb little things on there because it was like an ode to to these ll albums the humor in stuff I've, i remember um, if we 
can call him one of the greatest. We can't sleep on his ability to be diverse. There's tracks later on where he's almost singing, but then he'll hop on a remix and Prodigy's on it and he's got to go straight street. And you're like, right, right. That diversity to be able to switch them lanes and switch them gears and know, actually, this is the kind of flavor I'm going to bring for that. It's fascinating listening to these albums and seeing where that came from. You're saying there about having the fun. I must assume someone like Cube has heard that and thought Gangster's Fairy Tale probably works a bit more like, you know, this. Now it's about that time to talk about the third album in this run, 1989's Walking with a Panther. As we've already mentioned, this record was widely seen as a flop, so it makes it even more interesting that Slug picked it to talk about on this run. But before we do, let's hear from LL himself again on the Combat Jack show, breaking down where he was at the time and being booed in his hometown. You're at your third album. This rain that you had is starting to change. You go to Harlem. I forgot what the incident was. Oh, the was. Yusef Hawkins thing. Yusef Hawkins mm, thing. Yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah. But you go to Harlem. Yeah. This, is, this is your hometown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're booing you, man. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. Like, 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 what's going on through your mind, B? Oh, that was just motivation. They didn't throw me off at all because you got to realize why they were booing me. They were booing me because I was celebrating my success. You got to remember, chains I had introduced. Chains to the game. Champagne. The champagne. The I got, I got girls. I got supermodels. Right, right. I got Benzes, I got gold rims, I got diamonds, ice, Porsche. You know what I mean? All of this stuff, but like really bringing this to the to the game, like everything that's commonplace now. Like I'm really the first guy, and I'm really introducing this. They didn't appreciate it. And they the was, message is changing though. Like the, you, you got the PE, you got Chuck D, you got, you got the, the X Clan, X Clan. You got the Eric B and Rock Kims, and the, when you're looking around at the terrain, well, Kane was doing it too a little yeah, bit, but, 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 but he was just saying Black Power. Yeah, he was, was saying doing. King Asiatic. <laughs> If we are going into Panther though, 1989, two years later, you tell me how how that came across that album for you. LL was was a hero of mine. You know, he was everything we've stated. He was super cool, but he also could show us his nerdy side. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you mm. know, he had songs like Bristol Hotel where you could hear him smiling. I've never had a, another artist where I could hear him smiling mm. in the song. You know what I mean? Obviously, when I found out he's got another album coming out, I was like, word, it's on. But at the time, you already had, I mean, Boogie Down Productions had mm. two, maybe three albums out by, by now. Rakim had at least two. Yeah. You know, Digital Underground had happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's there's things going on. NWA had happened. The, the landscape was now, it's on. It's full on. When it came out, well, well, first it was a single. And it was, I'm the type of guy. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know what to think of this. Because his first singles were always... All his singles. Mm. I'm bad. Rock the bells. You know mm. what I'm saying? His singles are hard. And I'm the type of guy I was just like, uh, you know, funny enough, upon revisiting it last night, I was like, oh man, this could have been a Pharrell song. Like, yeah. I, like I feel like I feel like he he should I don't know if he's done anything with that. And if he hasn't, he should. He should he should recreate that song or something. Cause I almost hear him. I could almost hear him doing it, you know. But I didn't know what to think of that. So I just didn't think of it. You know, I just waited for the album. And then when the album came out, it was interesting because it was one of these things where I was like, oh, yeah, OK. First song starts off and it's like, all right, this is a this is a rap beat. EPMD could have rapped on that. You know, it was mm. dropping them, right? Yes. With the, the funkadelic drums, you know, I'm just like, OK. And he, he comes in and he raps and he raps and he raps and it's fine. He's rapping just fine. He's doing LL raps. The problem is my ears had evolved mm. to want something else. 
my ears had evolved to want more than LL raps. I wanted to hear Karis one emphasis and I wanted to hear some, some bars for all purposes though. He was doing what he does. He, he was, he was doing what he does, but I was starting to hear him try to see how he fits into what was going on today. Now in hindsight, I'm like, that's my fault. I'm the person who forced him to try to be able to keep up with cool G rap. Us as listeners, I don't think we would have allowed him to just do what he does. We were forcing him to be the king of New York still. And it didn't work. He wasn't the king of New York after walking with the Panther. Mm -hmm. He was bigger than that. And that's the thing. We look at that album and go, oh, it was it was a letdown or disappointment. But was it? Yeah. Did it work? Did it work? It worked. You know what I'm saying? It's like just because just because I it, just because it wasn't what I was wanting doesn't mean it. it you know, it's one of those mm. things where it's like, but but to be fair, you know, and I and I took a lot of notes on this one. Um, oh, good, good stuff. But but dropping them from the gate, I just was like, ah, okay, well, I guess so. That's your first song, all right. Mm. But there's a little moment that happens at the end of dropping them where the DJ is is cutting, and it almost sounds like the needle had skipped. And the DJ's trying to find where he's supposed to be, and they recorded it, and they kept it in Why? the recording. It's an error, and they kept it, and that will forever resonate with me because that amazes me. The fact that as a control freak, mm. professional Virgo, whatever, it messed me up. It confused me. Why would yeah. you do this? You know, now yeah. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad you did that because that's Wu-Tang forever. You know what I'm saying? Like that to me is like, doesn't matter if there's a mistake. Keep it. Let's keep it moving. Get to the next song. You yeah. know, and the next song, the next song here was smoking, doping. And again, I'm like, where, where, where's my LL? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, where's mm. my LL? This wasn't him. This was LL doing rock him. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, let me just lay back, smoking, doping. Da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? I, it was LLCing. Okay, this is what people are doing now. I could do that. Let me do that. But at a time where we were still following you for your personality more so than for your agility, it was hard. It was hard for me, you know, as a 17 year old to accept that. Um, Fast Peg. That's the hidden gem on this album, actually. Yeah, um, interesting. Okay. It's such a good song. And it's great because it's basically, he's like, oh, okay. So people are doing, you know, crime rap or mm. gangster rap or whatever you want to call it in 1989. I could do that. So he does. And that one, he really pulls off. It's so good. And the story's tight to me because it has a, a it has a tragic ending. Yes. Which which reminds us that there was a time when gangster rap had tragic endings. This was when there was still like conflict resolution and resolve. There was some sort of consequences for your yes. actions in the music. You know, later in the 90s, gangster music lost its consequences and it just became more like decadence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And 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 then I think that I kind of this song in hearing this again last night made me kind of miss that that era where it was like, nah, there's consequence for these mm. decisions because I feel like that, that was important for us to hear as, 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 as kids, like you don't actually want to go to jail, bro. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that was, that was important for us to hear, or you don't want to get shot, mm. you know, whereas, whereas later on it was like, oh yeah, he got shot and we celebrate it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. kind of like, it's a yeah. different time. As it went on, there was just a lot of nihilism I found, which yeah. is yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, just mob, mob deep. I'm glad you thought about Fast Peg because a lot of other things that people do talk about LL, there was no social commentary. I know he tried it in the last decade. He tried social commentary and it really blew up in his face, unfortunately, but he tried. And sometimes I do think, would you rather have an artist who just keeps doing what they're doing, but it gets a little bit formulaic and boring? Or do you want someone who's just going to be like, you can call it like catching trends or trying to go with the waves, you know, but he does it well later in his career. He does that 
well. Like Mr. Yeah. Smith is one of them albums where he is doing the bad boy, you know, stuff, but it's good. And I, I remember hearing you on um, uh, Watch Out, and there's an LL bar from yourself, I think, on there, where you were like, you know, <laughs> I wanted to be cool at LL so he started singing about girls I threw away the Kangol. And I was like, oh, Slug's been talking about this like for time. You know, the funny thing is in that song, after I say ripped off the Kangol and threw it away, I do an ad lib that says, get it, get it, get it, get it. And it's a joke, me saying, do you get it? Because here I am mm. telling a truth that I did want to be LL Cool J till he started making all these girl songs. But ironically, I grew up to be known as the underground rap guy that made all these girl songs. You know, yeah. and so that's why I was like, get it, get it, get it. Because mm. I see, I see how counterintuitive it was for me to be mad at LL Cool J for making these girl songs. But I also see how I don't think that my anger was anything more than just love. Like I loved this guy so much. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, and I've had the opportunity to tell him. I, I loved this guy. So I still to this day, I love this guy. Mm. I love this man. I have so much respect for this man. But yes, he had to disappoint me, though, because if he hadn't disappointed me for trying new things, mm. then what's left, as you stated, then what's left, he's going to end up ultimately disappointing me for not trying new things. Mm. So why not take the risk? Because now as an adult and as an artist, I always respect the risk. You take risks, even if I don't like them or they don't work. I respect that you took that risk. And the funny thing is, that's what these were for LL. We at the time wanted to be like, oh, he's selling out. But no, he was risking losing his core audience, which he did lose some of them. To be able to be like, um, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because he always sounded sincere. That's mm. the thing. When you hear somebody and it feels insincere or disingenuous, we can judge that then. Yeah. But if you are genuinely enjoying making this music, then I'm not going to judge you. I might not like your music. I might judge the music, but I'm not going to judge you. And I guess I had to get older to be able to say something like that. I don't know that I would have said that at 20 years old. Hey, what's up? This is Black Thought, and you are now rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. This is Stretch Armstrong. Ooh-wee! My name is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York. And you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Real hip hop. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about on this song uh, or on this album. You know, he, the, the landscape had changed a lot. We already, we, we, we know that. And, and lyricism was replacing adrenaline. And that's why we got to see, oh, LL's lyrics are not the most lyrical. That's where we realize, oh, there's a lot of cringy stuff here. It's even beyond what we saw with the with the first two albums, because the first two albums had tons of cringy lines, but he, but it was okay because it wasn't about the lines for him. It was about the delivery. Now we're starting to be able to see through it because now you're doing other people's deliveries. Yes. So now we're really be able to see what these lyrics are. And I feel like that might have been one of the things that made this album feel lackluster at the time was because right. we were putting him next to Rakim and we were putting him next to Big Daddy Kane. And we were putting mm -hmm. him next to, you put him next to Cool Mo D, he was still beating Cool Mo D, but Cool Mo D was from five years prior. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like you're coming out and you'd be like, nah, I'm still the baddest. The fact that you had to say still is part of the problem. Like, and, and that's what it felt like. That's what a lot of the, the arrogance and the bragging felt like. So he was still, man, he was true to himself. And I'll never say that, that, that that's a bad thing. Mm. But at the, it just, it just at the time, it was hard for me to like 
accept that because I was, mm. I, I had been exposed to all of these people who were saying these amazing things, you know, and, and expanding my mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? These rappers were, were making me want to read books. And then here's LL just like, I'm the baddest still. And it was just kind of like, okay, cool, bro. He'd be the baddest. And you <laughs> yeah. got these girl songs. Now I do want to point out one of these girl songs though. And I have it written mm. down. It's called you're my heart. I got that as my most rewindable moment and not because it's great, but actually I wrote, I'm speechless and confused. There's so much weird. It's the best parts of just music in general, like all the best parts of music huh. and then all the worst parts of music shoved together in this one song that it actually is amazing like it's like um you know that movie army of darkness right right yeah it's this is this this is the musical equivalent to that movie where you're like what the fuck you know you're like what is going on here yeah, I, can't, yeah. I have to finish this song to see where this is going because it's super epic it's got epic noises it's almost mm. like game of thrones epic he's like you're my heart he's like really giving it all but then also the, the sounds are like again straight casio keyboard sounds you know what i'm saying yeah. and then when you break down the words for what they are he's like he's trying to talk to teenage angst and all and it's just like what the <laughs> hell is going on here man and i gotta at the time i hated that song when it came out but last night when i was listening to it i was like man this song is accidentally amazing and i'm gonna hear i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to that song on a regular basis because it's so good but it's so bad it's just like i don't even know man oh and then i was like man because i was so out of touch i was like did he ever make a video for this so i went to go look for a video on right. youtube last night and there wasn't one there but what i did find on youtube is somebody took this song mm. and slowed it down like almost like chopped and screw style what and it's fucking scary it is this song what? is scary do you remember, remember the first time you fell in love? The way it felt, the way it feels, being able to say from the bottom of your heart, heart, I love you for real. Your eyes meet, you feel your heart beat. Palms are sweaty, you can't keep still. And when you when you hear it like that, it's just like, oh my God, like this is, I want to kill people to this song. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like, man, I go out and just start stabbing people. Listen to this. It was like so buck. Shit. So dope. I've not heard that, but I can imagine it being eerie and weird. And it's not just eerie and weird. It's hard. Yeah. Like when they slowed it down, it's like, ugh, it's like, ah, it's like death metal. Like, it's just like, I want, I, man, I really was like, man, I can sneak out right now. Kids are sleeping. <laughs> Go get it in. Go down to the five guys and just take everybody out. I don't even know if you, you guys got five guys. Yeah, over we there? do. We do. Oh, I'm we do. so sorry. I'm sorry. You have my condolences. I, I, uh, I'm feeling you. I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan myself. But uh, no, I, I, I'm afraid I am a fan, which is the right. problem. Like I keep my, I, I actively don't go. But that's the problem. Is like it's an active conscious thing to not go. Not go. So I'm just yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, they got hot dogs too. <laughs> I just I, you feel it afterwards. It's just not worth throw, it. Throw <laughs> throw little beeps all over this so that we're not accidentally promoting poison. <laughs> Superb work there from Slug digging out that remix of "You're My Heart." But now let's check in with the squad at the weird rap podcast and get their takes on LL and walking with a panther in particular. I think the first time he really made an impression on me was hearing that I need love song on Yo MTV Raps. And I was like, I know this is fucking corny, but also it's really catchy. This is like my first experience, I think, of like being like a closet fan of something. But when 
I heard Walking with a Panther. It was a huge flop. Like it was really built up and then it was a big letdown to the people that were fans of him for whatever reason. But this is my favorite Ella Cool J album because it has, going back to Cali, which is great. I'm that type of guy. Both of those songs are really strange and unique, especially I'm that type of guy. That's just a really weird song. It's got these like love songs that are so fucking corny again way cornier than I Need Love. It's like, you are my heart! It's just so melodramatic. It's like, oh, we're from two different worlds. It's like his Romeo and Juliet song. And they're just so over-the-top dramatic, but I, to this day, I love them for being so hilariously corny and catchy in their own way. Just from a sonic standpoint, I really appreciate this album, Walking with the Panther. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think his image got more and more annoying after that album. But like I went back and listened to it today and I was like, oh, this is kind of genius. Like he's basically like yelling in every song, like the Run DMC kind of yelling rap. And then he's balancing it out with like the doo-wop song or the I Need Love, kind of a bold, interesting move and really bizarre. Yeah. Beautiful work right there. Go check out that podcast. Love how mixed LL's reception can be with us hip-hop heads. Now, let's go back to Slug and one of my personal favourite LL Cool J songs. Going back to Cali, though, did you have anything on that? On that? I just want to talk about the production on that. It's you know amazing. what? Here's the thing. I buy a oh, vinyl. Here we go. Look at that cover. Going back to Cali wasn't on the vinyl. Right. It was only on the CD. If going back to the Cali had been on this piece of vinyl, even mm. though the song had already came out and the video was already out before this album dropped, uh, it came out due to um, less than zero. Less than zero, soundtrack. yes. Yep. It was amazing. You guys, you slowed down Planet Rock. You rapped halftime to it. What is going on here? Mm. You know what I'm saying? like It was like he invented a style right there. I loved yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, you know, she said she liked the ocean, you know, ran away with a bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm, I'm like 16. I want to run away with a bottle of wine. Come on, man. Uh, but going back to Kelly's not on here. Had it been mm. on here, mm. this album would have elevated. Right. In fact, the thing about this album is this. There's 16 songs on the vinyl. 16. There are four extra songs not on here. Two that were on the CD only mm -hmm. and two that were only on the cassette. So on the CD, you had Going Back to Cali mm. and then another song called... Um, Did Jack the Ripper not make it on any of these? Or was it on the cassette? I think Jack the Ripper might have been on the cassette, maybe. Yeah, it was on the cassette. Change Your Ways and Going Back to Cali were on the CD. Mm -hmm. Jack the Ripper and Crime Story ah. were on the cassette. Here's the thing. So all in all, that's 20 songs. If they would have just taken those 20 songs and cut it down to the best 12, Mm. This album would have been phenomenal. One of the things I noticed about this album is every song on here that's over 88 beats per minute is amazing. Nitro, uh, It Gets No Rougher yes. is amazing. Uh, Bomb Squad. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Why do you think they call it dope? Why? Amazing. So, yeah. and, and then the songs that got the real slow beats, those are the ones we could have got rid of. We could have got rid of dropping them. We could have got rid of um, uh, smoking, doping. Smoking, doping, yeah. You can't get rid of I'm the type of guy because that was a hit for him. You yeah. know, but you could, get, you could get rid of You're My Heart. Yeah, even though I love it, you, you could get rid of it. You know, but if you if you would have gotten rid of like eight of the 20, this album would have been so solid. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, you would have you have to change the cover art too, actually. <laughs> 
Oh man, this album's cover art. If you haven't seen it, please stop, Google it now as we talk about it, and just remember, there's nothing actually about Panthers on this album, which makes it ultimately more fascinating. Was it a call out to the changing times of black power in 1989 hip hop, or was it simply a stuffed panther rocking a dope chain? We'll never know the answer, but Slug and I still enjoyed breaking it down. So listen, <laughs> yeah, I want to hold this the best way. Yeah, I want to hold it so it's visible. Yeah, I'm just gonna try to point out a few things. Um, one, what's in the briefcase? Why <laughs> is there a briefcase with some handcuffs? Let's just start there. Yeah, yeah. What are you implying? Is this where the rhyme books are? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, is this where the money is? Is this full of money? Yeah. Or is that where the champagne came from? Oh, there are se- <laughs> seven bottles of champagne on the back. <laughs> Is that what happened? You got yeah. the champagne in the brief. Okay. And what's mm. up with the panther? Um, and you, you got the, the panther. I get it. Uh, walking with a panther. You know what? That's tight. Let's get, let's get literal. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. put a panther on there. You wear and wear a gold chain. But here's my thing. I'm pretty sure it's a stuffed panther really because, because when you take it and if you were to turn it the other way, it's like got the same. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Okay. It's blatant. Okay, okay. It's blatant. Yeah. Bro. I, you know, we don't have to talk about the girls. We know why the mm, girls are there, mm, but they, they each got two <laughs> bottles of champagne a piece. Like that's a, yeah, this so and check this out. And they're in an alley. They're yeah. hanging out in an alley. And also if you look close, I think there's a fire going on inside of the building that they're outside of. It what? looks like there's flames in, in the, in the window, just in so case you're paying layers. a lot of attention in case you're looking too hard. They are standing outside of a fire. So many like, layers. Bro, everything about this. And then when you when you bust it open and pull out the liner notes, first, there's a black and white Ooh, here. Yeah. And if you look close, his pupils <gasps> have little panthers. Little what? panthers in his pupil. No, go away, <laughs> man. What are you doing? So uh, weird. So weird, but so kind of love it. I kind of love it. It's not just a straight. I'm just saying, it, everything, it's so bad that yeah. it's the visual equivalent of that song I was talking about. Yes. Near my heart. Like yeah. when things when things get so bad that they suddenly become really good. Yeah, like, the stuffed pants. Like you, you you went around the whole planet and came at the other side and you're like, yo, it's not flat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other side of the um of the the liner notes with the actual thank yous is genius. I love the side. It's like mm. just good good photos, some mm. Glennie Friedman shots actually. Wicked. Uh, his liner notes are the best. It's because he already knows that you are gonna talk shit about this album, and he addresses it <laughs> already in the liner notes. Yeah, he addresses it. I'm gonna read it to you real quick. He says, first of all, I'd like to thank God for health and strength to say this. I call this album "Walking with a Panther." I am young, black, and legal. I want to do my part in breaking stereotypes placed on young black men in America. By making this album, maybe one day my grandchildren can catch a cab or rent a car in West Hollywood. Perhaps my grandchildren will be able to ride the subway without people changing their seat or cops harassing them simply because they are driving a nice car, just because they are young and black. Mm. What I'm trying to say is you should judge a person by their personal characteristics and not merely by their clothes or skin. So I hope to prove to the world that I can reach all materialistic goals and be young, black, and legal. Special thanks are unnecessary. I sweat, cried, and bled for this album. I love that. I love that because he's like, just like, yo, straight up, fuck you. Mm. Like I made this record because, and he, he tells you what his goals are. He's like, Mm. I got materialistic goals that I'm going to reach legally Mm. and it's going to piss people off. And so that Mm. makes me go, yes, this, this whole, this, this album, I I bring it all back, you know, and, and who, what non nineties rappers should be on here. 
everything that's under 88 beats per minute should yeah. have 50 cents on it, period. 50 cents should be on all of them doing the hooks and busting a 16. A, it would have showed us LL's rapping his ass off here. He really mm. is. Because 50 is going to come in and not rap his ass off. He's going to come in and do the personality. And so yeah. it would have been a, a great exchange. But everything that's over 88 beats per minute should have been LP. And the reason I say that is because all that bomb squad shit, LP would have sounded so good on this. Mm. And, and LP is really good at quality control. And I feel like his involvement on a record like this, he'd have been like, yo, 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 what are you doing right now? No, 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 no. Say it like this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like not to say LL needs like a coach, but I feel like if LP had been involved in the making of this album, this fucking album would have fucking, yeah. it'd have been nailed, a bag of nails. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that said, I'm so glad I had to revisit this album because right. it reminded me and it, it validated a lot of my feelings about it. But it also, at this age, looking at it, it opened me up to go, whoa, there's more going on here than I could. I, I couldn't be accountable for seeing all that when I was 17. Now as an mm. adult, I could see all the stuff that was going on here. This album, you know, I don't know that I'll ever revisit it again. <laughs> Aside yeah. from You're My Heart, but mm -hmm. this album's existence is so important to that late 80s thing that was happening because it showed everybody that even the pop star, LL was the pop star, even the pop star has to care about what they're doing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think he continued to do that forever. So that's because yeah. that's the one thing we, we couldn't take away from him was that he didn't sell out. He wasn't just shitting out songs because people were eating it up. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And, and if he would have kept doing what he was doing, maybe that's really what would have happened. You know what I'm saying? Because like yeah. you said, we know we know artists that kept in their lane and never challenged themselves and it just got mm. stale. He forced himself, he risked, he took all that stuff and did it and he did it as though he wanted to do it. Not because he was like, oh, let me just get this money or let me, you know, let me, let me give the people what they want. He was like, let me do this and now... Let's figure out how to make the people want it. And, and, and so I feel like, man, I, I, I respect that. I, and so this, this is, a, to me, this is a great three album run. Five mics across the board. And we can, we, can, we can argue whether five mics need to be given to that last album, but I'm mm. giving those mics to that album based on intent, based on execution, based on the things that at 17, I didn't even understand how to like think about. Yeah. Man, you went deep. You went to the depths of the ocean with that. And I'm glad because I don't know if I would have got that anywhere else. This is the thing about LL. Them liner notes makes me think of Hollis to Hollywood. Did it, you know, that, that line he came out with, but he is, he's in, is it Wildcats? He's in the Goldie Horn film. He's in the hard way with what's his name? Woods, uh, James Woods. He's in these things where he's doing things that rappers aren't necessarily apart from Will Smith, maybe, but he, they haven't done this. LL's body of work is some of the most diverse hip-hop has ever seen. He became rap's first pop superstar while staying true to his roots, representing Queens, New York. He's hit that unique space that crosses and bridges generations, the rare artist beloved by you, your mom, and all of your kids all at once. How many artists in the rap game are relevant after 30 years? Yes, exactly, 30 years. Dre's words all ring true, and with this episode, we hope it hits home that little bit harder. But is LL Cool J the hip-hop goat? This is what we had to ask Slug. I mean, it's, that's hard to say. It depends on who it's coming from. Like, it's mm. really virtually impossible to make everybody recognize you as, as what you are. Mm. I think other artists who are able to like really look at his career, they I think they all can like all walk away with a lot of respect for him. Now, my kid, my 27 year old or my 11 year old, mm. I don't think either of them 
would care if I turned off an LL Cool J album. If it was playing and I turned it off, I don't think either of them would be like, hey, hey, why'd you turn that off? So I don't know how would his work engage with the youth of mm. today, but I don't know if it's supposed to. You know, when I think about the rappers that my 11-year-old, when I play stuff around them, the people that he would be like, oh, who is this? It's interesting to hear what it is because oftentimes it's based in just straight sound. And if he hears noises that he's familiar with, specifically 808s or 909s, I think that resonates with him faster because all of that is, you know, a huge part of today's music as well. So he hears that and then he's like, oh, this is old school stuff, you know, as opposed to if he hears somebody rapping over James Brown samples, I don't think it would resonate as much. So maybe if I played radio, that album in front of the 11 year old, he might be like, who is this? You know, he might be like, why does it sound so old? You know, but I'd be like, oh, because it's from 1985. And he'd be like, whoa, 1985. But I think that the noises, the sounds of the adrenaline and the drums, uh, I think I think mm. he might feel that. He might hear that. But I don't think he, again, would be like, why'd you turn that off? I think he's a, such a key player in, because even if the kids aren't feeling it, I think me, you probably see it more than I do, but the acceptance of hip-hop becoming mainstream, he seems to be very integral in that. And I even think there's even a line in Bad where he says something about, I dare a critic to call this noise. And you're like, that line, you can tell there was some flag-waving of, this shit is not a fad, this shit is here for real. And just seeing hip-hop lexicon, even the other day on British News, someone said, what's your beef with that? I was like, that's on the British... Like, it just... It shouldn't stick out now. It shouldn't. You're right. But from my era... No one told like that, you know, and yeah, and yeah. and I think LL helped that, and he didn't really curse much. I don't, I think it's jingling, but I can't remember but jingling, baby. What I have to just bring up that track. I love that track. I don't know what it is that that beat. Just and I, I know the hook is a little bit, you know, questionable. Oh, I love, I love that hook. That hook. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just so catchy, and I remember just thinking, wow, that is probably a track I probably always play. I think it's probably one of my most rewindable ones. But but uh, Slug, we've talked about LL. I know you've got new music out as well. Your history is is so deep. And I remember just hearing things like Shrapnel and uh, Modern Man's Hustle. The beat switching, that is unbelievable. These things have stuck with us as as heads. So it's an honour to have you on and talk about your new one, Word. How are you feeling now? That's out now. I'm glad it's out. It's, it's interesting because when we make albums, we still kind of stick to the old tradition of you spend this time crafting an album, sequencing it, putting it together. Then you give it to the label and the label takes their sign their time crafting and figuring out how they want to present it to people and so by the time people get to hear it it's a year old to you you know it's you've been you've you know in 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 the age that we're in now we could make an album master it tonight and put it out tomorrow if we wanted to but we still kind of go through the the weird rituals that we grew and learned you know Mm. and so i guess when you ask how do i feel now that it's out i'm i'm relieved that it's finally out. It's one of those things with with us when we make music, it's not about the release date anymore because we no longer need to be validated by how well it is seen on its first week, et cetera, et cetera. Like those days are kind of behind us now. So now it's more like, Hey, look, we knitted this blanket. And while you're looking at it, we're, we're already knitting another blanket because it's just what we do. We don't know how to not, you know what I'm Mm. saying? And so it's like, it's, it's, it's so it's forever this, thing where it's like by the time an album is released i'm so immersed in the next project that the last thing i want to hear is the music on the album that we just released please don't play that around me i will study the ones i need to study for the live show other than that i'm going to focus on what i'm doing now because this right. has gotten me excited and, and, and energized and it's where my world is now. you know what i mean so it's a mm. weird relationship to have 
With that said, there are things about this album that I am so very proud of, and I'm so glad that people have received it the way that it has been received. I, I feel like oftentimes, you know, as an artist, you worry about how people will interpret what you're trying to communicate. And I feel like for the most part, most of the, the feedback I've gotten or, or, or the, the comments that I've read, good or bad, have at least interpreted the intent correctly. And I mm. feel like that's important with music. You know, uh, I got to work with a lot of a, a lot of friends that I've not had the opportunity to necessarily work with that much. You know, yeah. it's like oftentimes people, they kind of expect Brother Ali to pop up on my album or what have you. But, but to be able to go, oh, hey, you want to make a song? And have somebody be like, yeah. And, and, and not only that, but to not be a control freak about it. Um, mm. That's one of the things that I've been working on and learning is how to take my vision and actually allow it to be a collaboration with somebody else's vision. You know, oftentimes I get to, you know, it's just me and Anthony and things can become very insular. Mm. And so to be able to be like, hey, you want to rap on this? Yeah, just send me what you send me. And then I'll figure out what it looks like and what we'll do in here and there. And then, the, yeah, here's what I did. And here's what I think you should do with that and it's like oh okay cool and it's it's a it's a yeah. new thing for me kind of you know I, I get to do that with merce but it's to the point where me and merce have done it so many times that it, even that is like it's it's a those muscles have been exercised mm. you know what i mean and so so to be able to do that with with other people has uh specifically on this word project was really fun man it was a lot mm. of fun to try and figure out how to fit into music with with other people yeah uh, i'm also very proud of and, and happy about the song that came out with doom and aesop and me because oh, you know the way that song came together was like so you know it, it, it wasn't supposed to happen the beat was supposed to be a posse cut for the rhyme sayers 25 anniversary and it was going to get everybody to do an eight bar verse on mm. this beat you know and now in hindsight i'm like man that would have been such a fucking mess you know what i'm saying mm. to have like an eight minute song with like 30 rappers on it you know like yeah. so, so i when i I was like, hey, how about I just take this beat and send it to Aesop and Doom and see what they think? And both of them were like, yep, I like it. Let's do it. And for me to be like going, he, 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 it's kind of like a part two to a song we did a long time ago. Yeah. You know, it's got all of my little gears running. Yeah, and then what yeah. they both sent back, what Aesop sent back, he sent his back first and then Doom sent his back in. And I was just so excited that I got what I got from both of them. And then he passed away, man. Doom, mm. you know, sh actually shortly after he sent me the verse, he passed away. I didn't know. Because like everybody else, I found out on New Year's Eve, but the whole thing, just a, a lot of a lot of afterthought, a lot of thought has gone into just like ah, my space in this and what I want to do before it's my turn to pass away, not to get all morbid. But, you know, it's just mm. like that. That set a lot of stuff in motion as it should. Mm. It, 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 it made me just really start unpacking a lot of things for myself, you know, specifically musically uh, and, and with how I apply myself to what I do, which really just lit a fire under me to make more and more and more stuff. You know what I'm saying? It got yeah. me really going to just like start recording more and more and more. It's interesting when I hear hip hop now that, you know, things stick with me. And I think there's even a track on there where you talk about I should have been a cook. And I'm like, <laughs> this man has been around making music that's changed people's lives, small accounts. And oh, I should have been a cook. And I just think that, I don't know, I, I thought of Jerobi from Tribe Called Quest straight away because I was thinking he left Tribe Called Quest to be a cook. And I imagine if, if, if Slug had done that, that'd have been mad. These things, I still got time. I got time. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Of course. But um, look, I, I know I've taken up so much more of your time than I was allotted to, but I appreciate all the energy and passion you've brought to this. People do go check out Word, do go check out, well, all of Atmosphere.
Hemisphere stuff. It's always good. And it's just been a pleasure to have you on, man. And the doors are open if you ever want to just jump back on and, and talk hip hop and just nerd out. And you know what I mean? Like we're here for it, bro. And to hear insight from yourself is always a pleasure. I appreciate it. And people, if you got time to check anything out, please go listen to You're My Heart by LL Cool J <laughs> off of Walking with a Panther. Take some time out for, for that self-care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because everybody should hear this song at least once. Because it is, it's yeah, like, it's fascinating. It's on par with like a live action Smurf movie. Like it's, it would just be like, <laughs> what is, what is happening right now, man? Like, I love it. Well, one of our questions usually is, um, the last question we ask people is, what's the last great piece of music you heard? But I feel that might be the last great piece of music. I mean, <laughs> where I sit today right now, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, that was just last night. And I, on the way here, I only listened to talk radio. So, yeah. Mm. If I don't count that, ah, that's a really that's a, that's a really interesting question. Could be old, could be new, doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be a new one. You know, you know what? I just recently visited one of the John Wayne albums. You familiar with him? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's the, the one that's got is the one with the face. Yep, I I heard what it for the album? first time. I, I I somehow didn't hear that when it came out. I heard the one with the cracker on it. Mm. I bought it. I got the vinyl with the one with the face, and I just pulled it out and played it a couple of days ago, and was just like, yes, like again, mm. like he's so good. You know what I'm saying? Like, un, un, and and not maybe not um spoken of enough. You know what I'm saying? He's Definitely. one of those artists who use a little bit more of of a spotlight on him because I think there's a lot for people there. In, inside of what he's doing and just who he is who this human is that's presenting this art I I, I love I love mm, that guy I love where hip hop can go like that John Wayne just no one talks about that album or, or him generally you're right and the, the one with the cracker is great too so both mm. if, if you're not familiar with who John Wayne is J-O-N-W-A-Y-N-E I, I don't know the names of the albums but the one with the cracker mm, on it and the one yeah. with his face on it both those albums are super good wicked well, thank you, man. And um, just keep doing you. And I hope the kids get better in yourself. And man, this is you awful. Like, this is you under the weather. Jesus Christ. You've been digging in, man. I've loved it. I've loved every second. So thank you. Oh, man. yeah, man. If you would have got me at like six in the afternoon, you know, <laughs> five milligram edible, you, you, this would have been crazy. Like, That's the next one. It's weird. I feel like maybe the, 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 the cough syrup version of me is kind of fun too, so. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. You too. This was a Crate 808 production co-produced by Intricate Management. All music supplied by Grindhouse Music. Music.